This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Every one of us ought to be serving each other. Jesus showed us that at the upper room on the night that he was betrayed by washing the disciples' feet, where he says, man, you ought to be serving one another. But there are those within the body of Christ that have a particular gifting by the Holy Spirit of serving And you see them, and you can see them in action as they come in, and they are looking continually for ways to pour themselves into the lives to assist other people in whatever area that it might be. Join us today as Pastor David teaches on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit fills you and gives you certain spiritual gifts. What spiritual gifts have you been given by God? The purpose of these spiritual gifts is to serve the body of Christ and to further the kingdom of God. Are you using your gifts for God's glory or are you just living for yourself? If you don't know your gifts, you should get out and start serving the body of Christ and see what the Lord does. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 4, with our continuing study entitled, Living as a Sacrifice. One of the things we do need to understand is that there is a uniqueness within the body of Christ. But yet, in that uniqueness, we need to know that there is an interconnectedness even with that uniqueness. There are some of you that are gifted in areas that I will never be able to experience. And there are some of you that God is going to use in ways that others will never be able to experience. The uniqueness of our backgrounds, the uniqueness of our personalities, the uniqueness of who we are. God doesn't want to punch us all out with little cookie cutters and make us all very homogeneous to where everything, all of us look alike, talk alike, act alike, respond alike, or gifted alike. It does absolutely no good. It is the uniqueness of of the believers that helps that interconnectedness really work in the move and in the power of Christ. You think about the disciples and all the differences that those guys had. Man, you have the James and Johns that were ready to call down hellfire and brimstone on people just because they were doing a little bit different. Then you have the, the, the Simon Peters who was, he was ready to jump out and cut somebody's head off at a moment's notice. He wanted to be in, the differences and yet God used each one of those men in a particular way for his purposes, for his reasons. There are differences within the body of Christ. And that is what makes, again, the beauty of the body of Christ. But even with these differences, there needs to be a spiritual unity that draws us together. I love our fellowship here. I look about the the faces of our fellowship at the different services, and I see people of, of different ethnic backgrounds, different social and economic backgrounds, different parts not only of the country but from the world, different experiences, different giftings and strengths that each one of us have. Listen, this is just a small microcosm of what the body of Christ really ought to be. That again, the, the variety within the body of Christ is what makes the richness in the body of Christ. Because again, what each 
individual with their uniqueness, what each individual with their differences come and form together to make that interconnectedness. Now, sometimes we look at individual members and we say, well, we are really grinding together. His personality or her personality, man, they don't really fit with mine, and I just don't really get along with them very well, and there's this grinding. Well, beloved, it is the Holy Spirit working in both lives that allow those grinding gears to be able to mesh to the point that soon those gears are strengthening and encouraging each other rather than grinding against each other. And that's why God has placed you in this body. That's why God has brought us together as this small local body of believers, even with the differences, even with the strengths of some and the weaknesses of the others, the uh, enrichments of some in their culture and in their diversities, as well as the stability that's found in others. God brings it together for his purpose because, beloved, it's not about you and I. It is about him. And we live lives that are surrendered as living sacrifices to him in order to be used by him for his glory. And that brings us to the third lesson that I want you to know this morning, and that is that we need to be seeking out the needs of others with a whole heart. That when we come in as a fellowship on any particular time, do we come in and say, hey, what's in this for me? What am I going to get out of this? And do we leave at the end of the day saying, well, it didn't do anything for me? Or do we come in with the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm yours. How can I be a part of what you're doing? How can I impact the lives of the people around me? And again, with the right understanding, the right balance of knowing who you are with that true and right thinking about who you are. Rather than saying, well, I, I, I can't help anybody with, with my life. No, beloved, through Christ, there's an enormity of things that each of us could do. And on the other end of the spectrum, if you come and say, well, everybody ought to serve me, everybody ought to take care of me because I am something. Well, beloved, you need to be knocked down into reality again and realize that, no, you need to be serving You need to be offering your life as that living sacrifice. Seek who we need and how we can meet the need of others. He tells us there, back in Romans, verses um, 6 through 8, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. And he who teaches in teaching, and he who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Each one of these gifts listed here are for the betterment of the body that God would use these things to glorify and honor himself through the body of Christ. And as Paul gives this list here in Romans, understand and know that there are other lists that Paul gives. As a matter of fact, Paul primarily is the one who lists these gifts that God has given to the church. One of the other areas that he lists these gifts is found in Ephesians chapter 4, where he lists the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle, the pastor, teacher. Some look at this and say, well, actually, it's five gifts. And I get the question every once in a while about, uh, do you believe in the five-fold ministry? And 
it's just because of the wickedness of my heart. I usually say, no, I believe in the sevenfold, but you can't fold it anymore. Uh, just take a piece of paper and you prove it yourself. Seven times is the only amount of time. I know it doesn't make any sense, but uh, what is a fivefold? I, mean, I believe that it's four parts here. These gifts, I believe, are offices in Ephesians 4 that he gives for the working of the ministry. He says, for the equipping of the saints until we come to that maturity, to that unity together when he speaks of these four. Another longer list we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And these 13 gifts that Paul lists in throughout the chapter of chapter 12. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation, apostle, teacher, helps, and administration. All of these gifts that are listed. Now, I want to be real quick, and I want to take a little sidebar here to let you know that we as Calvary Chapel believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We do not believe that they ended with the canonization of the Scripture or when we got the 66 books. We do not believe that they ended when the last apostle died. I do not believe that when John the Apostle died, that they sent out couriers all through Christendom and said, Hey, stop that. Don't do that anymore. John died. I believe that these things that are listed are still valid for today, even though, yes, there is abuse of them, there is misrepresentation of them, and people make more of them than they do of Christ in many cases. But when we look at this list, we see both a diversity in the list as well as a, a similarities of the gifts. Take, for instance, the gift of prophecy. We find that in all three, in the Romans passage, the Corinthians passage, and even in the Ephesians passage. What about the gift of teacher? Do we find those in all three, Romans and 1 Corinthians and also in the Ephesians passage? We see the gift of leadership in Romans. It's called leadership in 1 Corinthians, administrations. In Ephesians 4, it's called as a pastor. And it's interesting, the words that the Apostle Paul uses in all three of these, they are different, but they are similar in function. The word that he uses for leadership in Romans deals more with one who is a judge, one who weighs the things and makes determinations and decisions. The word that he uses in Corinthians is more of that of a governor, the overseer of a large amount, the administrator of a government. And the word that he uses for pastor is the word that we could also translate as shepherd. Again, the overseer, the caretaker, the leader of the sheep. So all of these functions very similar, yet a little bit different. Uh, other gifts that we find in more than one of these columns would be like service and in helps. And I believe that those are very similar. We find service in Romans 12 and helps in Corinthians 12. And then we have the gift in the office of apostle found in both Corinthians as well as in Ephesians. And then we have those troublesome areas of gifts. You know which ones those are, don't you? The tongues and interpretation of tongues, the healings and, and miracles. Those are the ones that people get very uncomfortable with. And those are the ones that we say, well, those were done away with when the Bible was complete, or those were done away with when the apostles died. But, beloved, if we can pick and choose what got done away with because we're uncomfortable with them, because we don't understand them, then why don't we get rid of teaching? Why don't we get rid of the, the gift of helps? Why don't we get rid of the gifts of service? No, we don't want to get rid of those. 
We want to get rid of the ones that we don't understand, the ones that are confusing to us, the ones that we fear because of the multiplicity of the misuse in Christendom that for years has again spoken of, again, drawing attention to an individual rather than edifying the church and building up the church. God still uses these gifts in a right and proper way. And we're not going to get into a large teaching on the gifts today because I want to keep us in the book of Romans this morning. But I just want to tell you that if you are concerned about this, if you're part of the fellowship here at Calvary Chapel, and you've always thought that, again, that the gifts were done away with and that there's no use for them at all today, I want to give you two encouragements. In our bookstore there is a small book that Pastor Chuck Smith wrote back in 1990 called Charisma versus Charismania. And Charismania is the wild and wacky end, okay? The charisma is the reality of what God does and continues to do within the body of Christ. And then there are those that bring it all the way over to the far edge of things. Great book, short little read. There's another one by Jim Hesterly, almost just a pamphlet in there. Again, God's promise of power, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer today. I would encourage you, if you have questions about that, to look for either one of those in the bookstore. So let's get back into the list there in Romans 12. In that list that he gives to us, he speaks out some particular gifts that I just want to take a moment to go over to help you to understand that with these gifts, he says that we are to use them in proportion to our faith. And he says, prophesy in proportion to our faith, to minister or to serve. Uh, let us use it in our ministering or serving. One who teaches in our teaching, again, that, that, that portion of faith. He who exhorts in exhorting or encouragement. He who gives, give with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, what exactly is that prophesying? Prophecy, by and large, is not so much the foretelling as much as it is the telling forth of the Word of God. To be able to declare and to proclaim the mind, the soul, and the heart of God to the people. You look at the prophets even of the Old Testament. More often than not, they were simply proclaiming the things that were true that you could see. Israel, you're in sin. Israel, you are worshiping these idols. Israel, you are doomed for destruction. And then in many cases, God would give them a particular prophetic word of saying that the nation of Babylon or the nation of Persia or Assyria is going to come and they are going to clean your clock. That's a prophetic word for saying you're in a lot of trouble now. But most of the prophetic word, even that we get throughout the Scripture, many times is just a telling forth of the reality of what we see and what we know. So is there the gift of prophecy? Absolutely. That to proclaim and to declare the Word of God clearly with an understanding of what God is doing. And sometimes, yes, He does give a message beyond today, that foretelling but again, beloved, to test the prophets, to know if they're from God, is it 100% true? If we were to take those who declare themselves as prophets today and are proclaiming things in the future that are going to happen, and if we held them to the same test of the Old Testament, um, we'd, we'd be having a lot more funerals and a lot less prophecy going on right now. But enough on that one. To serve or to minister, that very word that Paul uses there is the word diakonia, which we get the word deacon from. To serve the physical needs of the body. And there are some that have that gifting 
above others. Every one of us ought to be serving each other. Jesus showed us that at the upper room on the night that he was betrayed by washing the disciples' feet, where he says, man, you ought to be serving one another. But there are those within the body of Christ that have a particular gifting by the Holy Spirit of serving. And you see them, and you can see them in action as they come in, and they are looking continually for ways to pour themselves into the lives to assist other people in whatever area that it might be. That is that gift of serving. Then he speaks of the gift of teaching. And again, the word, or being able to take the word of God and to be able to explain it and to lay it out in a manner that people can grasp a hold of it, they can chew on it, digest it, and actually gain something from it. There's a lot of people that, are, that I know that are very, very intelligent, and they've gone through all kinds of training. They have a great command of the Greek language, of the Hebrew language, great understanding of all about church history and the, the ins and the outs of all the, of the theologies that come within the Word of God. But to be able to speak that to a congregation or to an individual, man, it's so far above the head that nobody gets it. The gift of teaching is to take all of that information and bring it down to the level that people can then understand it. As I was speaking to a fellow pastor years ago, he says it's like Dwight L. Moody said. He says it doesn't matter how much you know, you still need to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that people can get them. It does no good to have it all appear and nobody even be able to grasp it. And that's what the gift of teaching is all about. How about that gift of exhorting or encouragement? What a blessing that gift is, and how greatly the church of Christ needs that gift today, that gift of encouragement, of exhortation. We see it in the life of a man like Barnabas. And you remember the story of how Saul of Tarsus was one who was, again, breathing out threats and persecuting the church. He got saved, and once he got saved, the rest of Christianity didn't want to have anything to do with Saul, who has now become Paul, because they knew that he was a threat to Christianity prior to his conversion. Well, there was a man called Barnabas, and he got the name Barnabas because they gave him that name. The name means the son of encouragement. Barnabas came to Paul, continued to encourage him and bring him along until Paul, again, grew in his faith and grew in his understanding. They went out on missionary journeys together. They brought a young man by the name of John Mark. You remember the story how on that first missionary journey, John Mark got tired of being out on the mission field, and he went home. So when it came time to start the second missionary field, Paul and Barnabas together getting ready to go. Barnabas said, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, no, I don't want John Mark. Well, Paul did not have the gift of encouragement, but Barnabas did. Paul had the gift of that prophet of the evangelist. Man, he was out to win the world for Jesus. Barnabas had that gift of, man, let's encourage each individual person. And so Barnabas took John Mark and continued to disciple him and to encourage him until at the end of Paul's life, Paul writes and says, oh, send to me John Mark, because he is of great encouragement to me. He's of great blessing to me. I believe that possibly Paul, in his later years, got the gift of encouragement. I believe that God gives us the gifts at the times that they're needed. I know of people that say, no, you only have one gift. You get that gift when you're saved. That's the only gift that you have. You need to find that one gift and just work in that gift. No, I believe that God works various gifts within various times because of the various needs that are there within the body of Christ. 
you know, you don't need a prophetic message when you're laying on a sick bed. You need someone with a gift of encouragement or a gift of faith or a gift of healing. And so, again, I believe that God uses and works those gifts in different ways at different times. Let's move on. The, and, and far be it that I would rush past the next one as a pastor. The, the, the gift of giving. Every one of us need to be giving. Every one of us need to be faithful in the stewardship of what God has given us. But what a blessing it is to be able to know those individuals who really have a gift of giving. So far above and beyond, you know, things that, that, that normally we would imagine. It's been my blessing to know about six people in my Christian life who really have that gift of giving that just, man, at times just blows you away. They come and God has blessed them with the ability to be able to give in an abundance. But one thing I know about each one of these individuals, and speaking with a few of them at different times, is that they were faithful in the small things first before God equipped them to be able to be faithful in the larger things. You see, God is going to use the obedience of our heart for His glory. And as we are faithful in the small things, God gives us opportunity to be faithful in the greater things. And Leadership, this whole idea of leadership, the, the ability to be able to stand and to move forward, to lead people in a deeper walk and in a vision of what God has for them. The best way to understand whether or not God has given you the gift of leadership or not is to look behind you. And if ain't nobody following, then you probably don't have the gift of leadership. You might say, oh, yeah, I've got this great vision, I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward. But if nobody's following, you're not leading anyone. And I love that it says that it's a gift of leadership. It's not a gift of a cattle driver. You're not you're behind them, whacking them to get them moved. No, but it's moving, it's walking, it's leading them and drawing them into that deeper walk. And praise God that he gives those gifts. And then lastly, Paul lists the gifts of mercy. Oh, how we need the gifts of mercy because there's so many within the body of Christ that have either been wounded or they've been hurt. They just need the gift of mercy. They need to know that within the body of Christ, there are those who are going to come alongside them, that they're going to strengthen their feeble knees, that they're going to lift up their hands that have grown weary that they're not going to crush out that bruised reed, and they're not going to snuff out that smoldering wick. They're going to have mercy on those that need mercy most. Those within the body of Christ that have that gift of mercy, what a blessing it is for a congregation, for a body of believers, to have those within that body that have that gift of mercy, because otherwise, too often, individuals simply get ran over and left behind. We need the gift of mercy. I don't know what gift God has given you. As a believer, I know that he's given you at least one gift, possibly multiple gifts. But they are for his glory. And the only way that you really see them worked out and lived out in your life is as you live your life as a living sacrifice. That, Lord, it's not about me. It's all about you. Use me for your glory. In the midst of all the things that are going on in the world, all that's going on within the body of Christ, help me to be able to be used by you. God gave them to us 
in order that we might live our lives as living sacrifices. And as Paul says, that's just the reasonable, logical service that we ought to have. In all that God has done for us, that's just the logical understanding. Why would we not live our lives as living sacrifices if we know truly that Christ gave his life to save us? That Christ poured out his lifeblood in order to pay for our sin, in order to take us from an eternity of hell to an eternity in the presence of our Creator, God. Oh, body of Christ, that we would live our lives as living sacrifices. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow The Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. 